Hello, hello, friends and family. It's time for another episode of Hype is My Superpower. I'm one of your hosts, Steve Storman in Brooklyn, New York, and joining me via the miracles of modern technology, it's my good buddy, Will Freeland. Will, how is it going, man? It's going great, man. I have a lot of energy today. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm all the working. Working out, paying off, getting that energy back in the body? Yeah, a little bit, man. I went for a run this morning as my typical Sunday life is. I try to get in some workouts and on the days that I can, I'm always just like, man, I wish I worked out today. So ah. it's, it's nice. It's not, I like adding this little, some cardio into my life. That's great. This is really the pinnacle of hype for me of the year because yesterday was the grand final of the Eurovision song and dance contest. <laughs> Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I've ranted about Eurovision on this pod before, so I don't need to go into it. But it really is. It's just the best day drinking holiday you could possibly imagine. <laughs> Italy won this year with a like a glam punk song that didn't fit anything at all. It, was, it wasn't it was a very good song, but I think really what it signals is all of Europe is sick of quarantining, sheltering in place, and wants just just bouncing off the goddamn walls. But not only is it Eurovision season, it's also the first weekend of the NBA playoffs. And right now, as we record, my Lakers are playing a playoff game. And I... Oh, you poor thing. I'm so sorry. We'll do this quick. No, (laughs) no, it's good. I can watch a replay. I just want to bring it up so that you know my commitment level to this podcast. And really to our friendship. (laughs) Yeah, man. My goodness. Nothing gets in the way of Steven and his Lakers, let me tell you. It's true. When I was doing the activist campaign, when I moved to New Mexico, and, you know, it's like day and night working in the heat, outreach and building physical structures for a protest encampment and just tense moments and situations, living with seven other people in a single wide trailer and navigating all of this interpersonal shit at the same time. And my escape was to drive about 20 minutes down the road to a casino, which had sports games on. And I would go and I would watch every single Laker game of the 2010 NBA finals run in a random lonely casino out near um, Nambe Pueblo. I'd have a beer in the first half. I'd have a beer in the second half. And that's how I would unwind. But it's more than just loving the Lakers. I love basketball in general. And this is really the week of the year where you have the most concentrated, high-level, high-effort basketball to watch. And so mm-hmm. over the next week or two, I'll probably try and watch a, a game or two at least every single day. Just pump it right into my veins. Hell yeah. Well, with that, shall we get started? Let us begin. We, <laughs> in what is a running theme on this show, we've got a lot of good stuff to get through today because today is... Giant Size Dawn of X podcast number three. We read Mm -hmm. Dawn of X volumes seven through nine. Can I also just say? You can also just say. I love comics so much. (laughs) Right? Right? It's it's so much fun. Yeah. There are very few things that I get super hype on. Mm -hmm. And comics has always been one of them. And now that I have an avenue (laughs) to express this hype that I have on my comics, it's just, mm, it's great. It's great. (laughs) That's awesome, man. Yeah. I feel like I come at things from a, a, a similar but different angle. You know, we call the show Hype is My Superpower. I think it's really more of your superpower. 
I feel hype, but I don't channel it. I don't embody it. I, it doesn't just like vibrate through me the way oh it does for you. And oh, just oh my gosh if we ever if we ever if sorry when this explodes and we start doing videos shows um, videos yeah or live shows Uh that people can like hop into on like twitch or something there's gonna be so much hype i'm gonna it's (laughs) oh i'm so anyway <laughs> we're minutes in we haven't talked about anything so and nothing that's fine yeah yeah okay so yeah, let's go in. but i have to belay that hype because before Talk we get me. into dawn of x i know i promised that i never had anything to say about operation zero tolerance ever again but in my rush to finish off last week's episode i did leave out a couple very important things so i'm going to try and get through them rather quickly sure. the first and most important thing was in the Generation X arc. At the end of it, while they're fighting the Prime Sentinels, Sync sinks his powers. You know, he does this sort of rainbow aura thing and he can kind of work in synchronization, mimicking powers of any mutant who's near. But he kind of gets a little bit of like mind meldy a little bit too. And for the first time, 31 issues in, he finally synced with M for the first time. And there's been a big mystery building around M the whole time. She's this arrogant, hyper-competent, has all the powers, super lady, but she'll just like space out for long periods of time or she'll act very much like a child, like somebody found her diary and it's like all, you know, crayon drawings and stuff. And it turns out that the M that's been in the first 30 issues of Generation X is not Monet at all. It is Monet's two younger sisters, Nicole and Claudette. They have fused together in a sort of gestalt body and they've been acting as Monet the entire time. Whoa. Yeah. Wow. I never knew about that. Uh Uh-huh. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. It makes me think a lot about how you would never have a mystery dangle that long in contemporary comics. I mean, Mm. I guess like Dawn of X is massively disproving that because it's built around this sort of like fundamental tension of like an ill feeling and something being deeply wrong. But like this is going on three years now of Monet being a character Mm -hmm. and this has always been there. They've sort of hinted at it this whole time. In typical Scott Lobdell fashion, there's no building on it. There's no development. It doesn't like reach ahead or like somebody learns something crucial or gets to a point where it creates a conflict that needs to be resolved. It's just like, oh, there's a mystery. Oh, there's a mystery. Oh, there's a mystery. Oh, this is what the mystery was. Uh, (laughs) But I'll save the Scott Lobdell retrospective for later, maybe even not this episode. But yeah, you just don't see a whole lot of like long running open questions like that. Yeah. Because comics, especially spinoffs and especially introducing new characters aren't written from the expectation that they're going to last 30 issues. Right. That you're just like, I'm going to come back to this. Yeah. 47. Right. It's not, it's because they used to do it. Like we're going to keep publishing this until it gets canceled. And the expectation is that it'll just keep going. And then one day it'll have it like, it'll take an editorial actor or a business decision or something to be like, okay, we're cutting this off. It's done here. It's just not how it is now. Yeah. You, you get a, yeah. a creative team together with an editorial broad strokes picture of what the story is and how it's going to fit into other things before they start. And it's kind of much more engineered into a larger picture, which means 
smaller runs and more frequent title churn. Yeah, for sure. There's a a story dangle in Miss Marvel that oh. I believe was at least one, maybe two authors ago. Oh, no. And it's always been in the back of my mind. It's like, are they going to capitalize? They're going to capitalize. And it yeah. just still hasn't happened yet. Interesting. Speaking of a mysterious plot thread that gets completely abandoned and you're like, did did they just forget that this was ever happening? In the X-Force issues, they finally touched on a dangling plot thread that had been completely abandoned for four or five years now. So when the New Mutants became X-Force, Sunspot, Bobby DaCosta, left almost immediately. His dad died and he had a bunch of things to sort out regarding the family fortune and this um, external sort of a mutant immortal Highlander. And they eventually had to change a lot of things about their storyline because it was way too close to actually being literally Highlander. And then they killed almost all the characters off just to erase that it ever happened. But (laughs) this guy, Gideon, who's like an ultra, you know, Uh, powerful guy with a green ponytail. He last name Mace. I don't, I don't think, I think they ever had. I don't uh, think he ever had a last name. I'm just. Uh, I'm thinking about your trading card days. Yeah, looking it up right now. Nope. Damn it. Identity secret. Cool. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> your your your, fa- your favorite two words. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> I mean, he was born in like the fifth century or something, so uh, they may not have invented last names yet. He may just be Gideon. But anyway, he took Bobby under his wing and is like, I'm going to teach you all the business side and also kind of like make you into this Hellfire Club villain type of dude. Because there was a long running subplot all through the New Mutants run where someone was like, hey, Xavier, are you sure that it's like a wise thing to be training all of these like young mutants without vetting? Because like, what if you end up training the next Magneto, taking in the next major supervillain and teaching them how to use their powers? And the constant sort of like tension in the narrative or everything was suggesting that if any one of them was going to take that path, it was going to be Bobby. It's like, what, just 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 because he's black? Ooh. <laughs> You know, he's always been like really arrogant and hot headed and all of that until recently. And by recently, I mean in the 97 comics. In my reread. So he he gets semi-kidnapped, goes completely out of communication once he starts hanging out with Gideon. And then the Mutant Liberation Front, after Strife gets defeated, they find a new leader. And it's this guy named Rainfire, who has powers that are very similar to Bobby's, except Rainfire has a jerry curl. And... (laughs) that's really it hey it was the 90s all right it was was the early 90s 90s. (laughs) bishop had a jerry curl anyway so rainfire you know it's this big mystery you never quite see his face it's all dark like when bobby's using his powers and like oh man is this bobby this kind of i don't know this might be bobby guys this this is a lot like him and then rainfire just kind of like disappears and then bobby kind of returns and it's kind of implied that rainfire was sort of an inserted personality through brainwashing that cable represses with sort of telepathic intrusion of a bunch of Ascani teaching like 
for a long time, Bobby starts speaking Ascani and like meditating like an Ascani, just like unconsciously. Okay. But besides that, it was just like completely abandoned. And so we don't know what the real deal was, how it came to be. And just for the first time, when Griajnova captured a couple of the members of X-Force, some scientists came to claim them in like stasis pods or whatever. And one of them was like, oh yes, something, something with the Rainfire experiments. DaCosta must be nearby. Let's try and capture him. Mm. So hmm. it looks like we're going to finally get some follow-up on that. So that's interesting. Okay. The next thing I left out of Zero Tolerance talking was the trial of Gambit. So this was kind of outrageous. It was a really big deal. So Gambit, Bishop, Rogue, Beast, Joseph, and Trish Tilby were off saving the Shi'ar Empire from the phalanx in space. Their ship gets waylaid or hijacked on their way back to Earth, and everyone sort of blacks out. You don't really know what's going on. And then they all wake up in this mysterious spot, which is slowly, and I mean slowly, revealed to be an old base of Magneto's in Antarctica. Mm. And this mysterious character introducing themselves as Eric the Red also plucks up Archangel and Psylocke. Also, there are two former like bounty hunter people who have a past connection with Gambit, and it's implied that they know his dark secret, which, again, like Monet, has been bubbling under the surface. And you know that there's something about Gambit's past that he doesn't want to talk about. Really, since the start of him being a character, right, he's been sort of like mysterious and shady and too cool, but especially came to a head right before Age of Apocalypse, when it looked like the world was ending and, and Gambit and Rogue kissed. She absorbed his memories. They were repressed for a while. Over the course of this, they come to the surface and she remembers and then Gambit confesses that he was doing work for Mr. Sinister when he was young and he gathered up the marauders. He recruited them and he led them down into the Morlock tunnels so that they could do the mutant massacre. Yeah. This is common knowledge by now, but it was a huge, huge, huge revelation. They basically just leave Gambit in the middle of Antarctica. They're like, we're not going to kill you, but... We don't want to deal with yeah. We don't want to deal with you anymore. <laughs> also, during this time, Bishop gets he doesn't get teleported with everybody else. He is still on a spaceship with Deathbird out in Shi'ar space, and he got really, really fucked up, and he's under like intensive surgery or something. So there's a whole thing about Archangel was supposed to be the person defending Gambit. And he's like, look, we've all done bad things. I was a horseman of the apocalypse, NBD, but you know, we believe Mm. in power of redemption and that's what we're all about as X-Men. And then he's like, wait a minute, you were responsible for the mutant massacre? I lost my wings. Fuck you. Go die in a hole. (laughs) Cool. Yeah. So it turns out that the whole thing was orchestrated by Magneto, real Magneto, who Mm. has returned mysteriously. Magneto has been out of the picture really since so he was mind wiped by xavier back in 93 in the fatal attractions crossover and then he just sort of hung out on avalon catatonic with the other acolytes for a couple years and then after age of apocalypse and the aoa characters entered into 616 holocaust went and basically shot up avalon brought the whole thing down and colossus made sure he landed safely but they got separated somehow 
everyone assumed Joseph was Magneto, but here's Magneto. Mm. So, and he's doing this all. Apparently he's like, before, you know, I tried to take you all head on, but now I'm going to break you apart from the inside one by one, which doesn't seem very Magneto, but sure. Right. That's a Zemo thing. Right. Yeah. (laughs) And then the very final, oh, fuck. Okay. Two final things. One (laughs) (laughs) One uh, last podcast, I mentioned the J. Jonah Jameson story arc and Mm -hmm. how it was total nonsense. He gets set up as a major antagonist for Bastion at the very beginning and then gets dropped completely. And I was like, oh, I've also got this special in my pack where Venom is is, uh, hunting down Jameson at the behest of some government handler. And maybe that'll resolve. No, that was just the jumping off point. It doesn't tie back to Operation Zero Tolerance at all. The whole thing is just a a 30-page fight scene between Spidey and Venom. Also, two things. One, it has maybe the worst line of dialogue I've ever read. And that is really saying something, considering the quality of comics I've surrounded myself with over the last few years. But J. Jonah Jameson says, Parker, get your camera. It's not every day that a scoop comes right in through our window. And Venom says, you're getting a scoop, all right. A big scoop taken out of your brain that we're going to eat. I hate it. Painful. I hate it. The other thing was that at the start, these government handlers are driving Venom over to the Bugle building and they're like, something needs to be done about Jameson. You know what we mean. You're the man for the job. You can take care of this Jameson problem that we're having. And Venom's like climbing the building. He's like, I guess like plausible deniability. They don't say that they want him killed, but like, Obviously, that's what's going on. (laughs) Turns out it was actually a big misunderstanding. And they didn't want him to kill Jameson. They just wanted to rough him up. So, yeah. So they intervened to stop the whole thing. And they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. (laughs) So dumb. So dumb. And then the whole time, Jameson's about to be able to get free. And then Venom's like, ah, but I know Spider-Man's identity. And Jameson's like, all right, I will stay in clear and present mortal danger from the man who's been coming to try and kill me so that I can learn Spider-Man's identity. And then he never does. And at the end of it, Eddie gets a concussion and forgets Spidey's secret identity. It's really, 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 really stupid. The last thing, an issue of X-Men, X-Men 70 kind of worked as a coda to the whole thing where it's the first issue of the whole team back together. And Bastion has stripped down the X-Mansion, all of the tech, all of the furniture, everything just scrubbed down to nothing. So after they escape from the whole Sentinel facility, Cyclops has a nanobot bomb surgically implanted in his abdomen. They get back to the mansion to try and operate him, but oh, all of the medical equipment is Mm. gone. And so Dr. Reyes and an Iceman and Marrow come back around the same time. And Dr. Reyes is like, okay, we're going to prep for surgery, cannonball, go fly, you know, get me anesthetic and antibiotics and all that. Wolverine, I don't know what you do. Go away. And he's like, nope. <laughs> and he pops his claws and he's like, unless cannonball finds scalpels, this is the best you got. And turns uh, out okay. he can't. So they, you know, <laughs> disinfect his claws and, and use him. Wow. Because it is filled with blood. Right. And Gene kind of does the whole psychic waylay for through everybody and then they pull the bomb out and maggot slugs eat it so it's kind of like the first time you get to see the new team operating uh-huh. together so that was cool unintended <laughs> not intended okay with that out of the way Let's go Dawn of X. Dawn, seven, eight, and nine. I think the natural place to start is that first issue of New Mutants with the Sam and Space arc ending. 
Yeah, so they're just kind of like cleaning up. Yeah. Getting Xandra, showing her, trying to be a monarch. What's Sam and Bobby going to do? Is Sam going to come home? Is Bobby going to convince Sam that he should be back on Krakoa? Bobby's fourth wall breaking recap was a lot of fun. That was fun. It was also kind of weird. Um, <laughs> there's a trend now of Rain licking everything. They've really done a, a real turn on Rain's characterization. She's a very childish character and not in like the innocent sort of sweet well-intentioned nervous kid but like the right i'm a wolf <laughs> i lick everything i stole this thing you're boring bye yeah it was odd it's um, different it, it fit the tone of this book it's it's unusual for her i don't think it'll stick but mm-hmm. it fit the tone of this book okay. so yeah the imperial guards trying to kill Deathbird gets revealed and then they have a big fight scene except they don't show the fight scene because they decided to make it into a dice game that was hickman is so hickman it's the imperial guard versus the new mutants and i love that hickman's just like no one's gonna die no one's going to learn a new ability or power (laughs) (laughs) everyone is fully fleshed out do we need to show this we don't need to show this (laughs) big dumb punchy fun fight scene but you know what we get three panels of just like chaos and everybody wailing on each other each one has a narrator caption of only one word and it's fight (laughs) (laughs) right and and that's a full splash page just those three panels and then it cuts oh to this dice game. So I wanted to play this dice game with you. Yeah. I've got some D6s right here. Me too. So it says, normally this fight would have gone on for 17 glorious pages. Women and men would have triumphed. Male and female aliens would have fallen. Maybe vice versa. Maybe not. But now there's only one way to tell. And all you need is a pair of dice. Let's get it on. So round one, roll one die each to choose a combatant from a side. One mutant, one guardsman. Do you want to represent the Imperial Guard or would you like to represent the new mutants? Well, I'll be the Imperial Guard. Okay, sounds good. So I'm going to roll a 1d6. One is Mirage. Two is Smasher. Three is Mondo. Four is Chamber. Five is Wolfsbane. Six is Karma. I've got Manta, Earthquake, Quasar, Starbolt, Flashfire, and Hussar. Quasar, not to be confused with With Quasar Quasar. that has the negabands. Yeah, I believe this Quasar is the dude with the cool sort of star skin. He's a big, muscly dude and a leader. Yeah, he he looks looks like, like... He looks like a galactic colossus. Yeah, like outer space skin, basically. So so I rolled a four, so I've got Chamber. Okay, I'm rolling a five, Flashfire. Flashfire, he kind of has like this lightning bolt motif on his chest, and he's got plasma hands. It says his powers, he's able to generate and fire bursts of light and electricity. And he has a flight patch, which allows him to, well, fly. Flight patch, it's cute. All right, so now we each roll for damage. <laughs> yeah. We each roll a 1d6. And whoever rolls the highest number wins and lower numbers eliminated. If both numbers are the same, both characters are eliminated. All right. Come on, Chamber. I got five Ooh, damage. I got a three. All right. Chamber Bye, is chamber. out. Flash fire is still around. All Next. right. Three. I've got Mondo. That's another good thematic match. We've got the plasma versus plasma and the mm-hmm. plant guy versus the earth guy. Oh, he's a boring looking guy. Yeah. Um... Just, just kind of like light blue with basically richter he's yeah space richter yeah 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 yeah. i roll one damage i rolled a two (laughs) all right (laughs) okay earthquake is gone i got mirage 
Uh, Manta. I'm doing three damage. Two. <laughs> Mirage is out. Manta lives. I have Manta again. I have Mondo again. Bring it on. Oh, one. Five. <laughs> okay, Mondo out. Guardians are killing it right now. Quasar. I'm also rolling against my cat, who's here on my mouse pad. <laughs> He's still sleeping, so he doesn't seem to mind. Oh, okay, I got Smasher. Roll for damage. Okay. One. Gosh. Ooh, six. Suck it. I don't even need Starbolt and Hussar. <laughs> Flashfire. I've got Wolfsbane. All right. Flash. Come on, Rain. Bring it home. Two. <laughs> six. God. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Do you, how many do you, do you have left? I Two? just have Karma left. Oh my gosh. All right. Well, so you don't even need to roll. Nope. You're going up against Manta. All right. Shan's got five this. damage. <laughs> Three. Oh, Shan's out. Yay. Guardians win round one. All right. Round two. The eliminated team is then allowed to introduce their final three players. So, Play until one team is again eliminated. If the winning team lost the first round, then the losing team can use their final three players and again until play until one is eliminated. But, so you have Cannonball Sunspot Magic against. And, and they're all 2d6 damage, I think. After one team is eliminated, the winning team does not get to come victory until they scream death bird at the top of their lungs. <laughs> Seriously, Seriously, you can't win without doing this. It's in the official rules. You're reading them. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So okay. I have my guardians against Cannibal Sunspot and Magic. Yep, I got still magic. One. I got magic for round one. Oh my goodness. Okay, you're going against Manta. Okay. <laughs> Damage. One. <laughs> Four. Cool. Yep. <laughs> Manta's gone. <laughs> okay. Well, Iliana uh, is a beast. Okay. Hussar with my whip versus cannonball. Okay. Two damage. Three damage. Oh my gosh. Okay. Oh. Well, I have Quasar, Starbolt, and Flash Fire left. Oh, Flash Fire is up. Versus Sunspot. Again, thematic. Three damage. Five damage. Okay. You're going up against Quasar. Against magic. Oh, six damage though. Seven. Oh, you so. Mm. It was a All one right. and a six, and, and the six just barely. It was. It came in second. I just have Starbolt left. Starbolt. Okay, I'm against Cannonball here. Five damage. Ten. Son of a bitch. All right, well, now, now I you have get... Mentor, Oracle, and Gladiator. Oh, Gladiator's going to be a tough out. And basically, it just gives me the win, right? But Gladiator's you know, powers are just mental. But desire. we saw, I, I had that issue where Cannonball beat gladiator it's true because it made him question himself stupid yeah. all right Real so um, sunspot for me i've got gladiator here we go oh boy come on bobby seven damage 11 you okay i only have mentor and oracle left but neither of which are fighters but whatever yeah i got cannonball oracle five damage nine damage Son of a wow honestly though mutants should win i just have mentor I've still got all three of my round two players. Seven There's damage. Magic, nine damage. Oh my gosh. Well, that's bad. You <laughs> there goes my cat. <laughs> Zoom cut out. <laughs> oh man. Scared There's the neighbors. Scared the cat. That's fine. There's a part of me that is very thankful that you won and I did not. <laughs> <laughs> Probably scared the shit out of Rachel too. <laughs> she's gonna she's gonna ask me after the pod. She's like, so what what, what the fuck is uh, some of that? <laughs> well, congratulations on your win. Thank you. Yeah, well fought. Well, very well, dramatic. So yeah, so takeaways from New Mutants, Rain in Dawn of X is, is 
uh, slightly more playful and immature. And she brought back a mysterious object, apparently, which we'll get to later. Yes. And Bobby is staying in the Shi'ar homeworld and he bought the apartment building that Sam and Izzy live in because Bobby likes to throw his money around for personal gain. Right. <laughs> he bought AIM for the exact same reasons. <laughs> yeah. So Bobby is off world and there's now a gate in mm-hmm. two different Shi'ar locations, a Krakoan gate, one in what looks to be Sam and Izzy's apartment. And then also Cyclops asked if Gladiator could plant one on a planet that looks like a, just a giant island that's floating in space. And it's called Chandelure. Yeah. And we're putting a Krakoan gate there as well. So it kind of made me question what was the whole point of this, right? Right. And I feel like there's a few things going on. One, it's just a fun story and Hickman will never pass up the opportunity to write Bobby and Sam. Two, you're doing a little bit of table clearing. Well, I'm not sure. I thought maybe that there were some stories going on in Krakoa that you couldn't tell with Doug there. Just having, because he is the sort of translator. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, maybe, yeah, maybe it's, let's just get New Mutants off world for a minute. Yeah. And yeah. part of it is table setting and this whole thing with Rain and the mysterious object. Yeah. Rain getting an object from Shi'ar space, but we find out that it was creepy. Even more exotic than that. Yeah. Uh-huh. It also got the Star Jammers in Shi'ar space. Yeah. Like it got Corsair off the moon and into Shi'ar space. Right. Okay. So that's quote unquote it. <laughs> And so this round of Dawn, because the first six were all like straightforward in terms of each is issue one through six of six different titles. And starting in Dawn seven, it gets mixed up significantly because we have one title canceled and two new titles start. And one of the new titles is Wolverine. My first note on Wolverine is just the return of Adam Kubert to the title, the artist, uh-huh. the longtime artist on Wolverine in the 90s. And so it's cool to see him kind of back with this character. Mm. It also really makes you realize how much of the aesthetics of comics today are in the coloring, you know, because he's the same penciler, but it looks so different today Uh, from back then and a lot of that just has to do with the way that they color it and add mood and then also just you know writing and script and and sort of different tools for panel layout you have a lot more of an emphasis on sort of widescreen cinematic cutting techniques and panel composition yeah so wolverine introduces this CIA narcotics guy. Yeah. He's uh, sort of like a Bannister. Lebowski type character. He dresses like a Lebowski. Um, Except he's got this massive head wound. Giant fucking scar on his head. So I guess overall, I like the Wolverine arc. So what the big takeaway from Wolverine arc does is it kind of shows the other side of having a pharmaceutical company, right? Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. And it kind of ties into Marauders in a very, very big way. Yeah. This guy, Bannister, he has a daughter who is on a waiting list for Krakoan drugs. She has some sort of cancer. We assume that it's leukemia. And so this guy has a personal connection to this in addition to being this roguish CIA agent investigating the groups who are turning Krakoan medicine into illicit drugs. They call it pollen. Yeah. One of the ways that this can go is shadow organizations that don't want the nation of Krakoa to 
have this kind of power of drugs to introduce strains of Krakoan medicine that yeah. do not work as intended. And yeah. anytime there's a negative reaction to a new drug, there's always going to be those conspiracy theorists that run with it and try to like waylay the public opinion on stuff. Right. And also if Krakoa's acceptance into the international community and their diplomatic overtures are all tied behind what they can provide the rest of the world through these miracle drugs. If the miracle drugs don't work or are perceived to be dangerous, then it's a significant problem for Mm -hmm. Krakoa and for mutant rights. Then there's also this new player that gets introduced beyond Bannister. There is the new baddie that we know nothing about. They're called the Flower Cartel, and they are the purveyors of this illicit Krakoan drug, and they're headed up by this sort of psychic ghostly character, we can assume, called the Pale Girl. Somebody said that the feeling of the Pale Girl reminded them of Jean, but it wasn't quite right. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't fully understand what or who the Pale Girl is right now. Well, I have two thoughts. Okay. One is that it's Madeline freaking Pryor again, because they just can't stop picking that scab. Hmm. And the other is that it's sort of a, a Phoenix echo, like a psychic echo of the Phoenix force. Hmm. Hmm. Ooh, okay. So with Phoenix force, I was going to disagree because Phoenix force is always red mm-hmm. and orange. However, comma. The white hot room? Sure. Oh, sorry. There- <laughs> <laughs> there was, oh, <laughs> we were going in two real different directions there. <laughs> there was when havoc and polaris were on the star jammers and they were heading up the star jammers uh-huh. and rachel was with them right they come across this shiar warrior who has a sword that is imbued with phoenix force mm-hmm. but it's a blue phoenix right uh, thinking about that i'm like okay there have been times where phoenix force has burned blue i, I was thinking maybe of- of the white hot room, the sort of staging area for the Phoenix Force and their hosts. Um, mm, yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't know, man. There's oh man, just there's so much going on in every single freaking issue. It's yeah. so hard to like really dive into any one like thought process. But my goodness, my goodness. So Wolverine teams up with the Marauders or some of the Marauders to go and infiltrate the base that the Flower Cartel seems to be working out of. And on this base, we get some insight into Russia's response to Krakoa, where Mm -hmm. most nations that have uh, refused to accept the Krakoan Treaty have just been anti-mutant and oppressive but one of russia's responses is that they're doing their own thing so yeah and this has been playing out in x-force for example you know yeah the domino mission was largely around trying to help russian mutants get out of the country and and go to krakoa yeah so a lot of antagonism that the marauders have been coming across has been russian based or madriporian based X-Force has been doing some Russia stuff, and now we have Wolverine doing some Russia stuff, and we find that Russia is manufacturing their own, like, version of mutants, and they're Mm -hmm. all wearing the same, like, weird little suit that looks like Vertigo from... Right, from from the Savage Land mutates. Savage Land from the mutates. But we have Wolverine and Bishop and Pyro and Storm and Iceman storm this castle along with Bannister and they come across the pale girl and she's only we only ever see her 
as like this ghostly presence. Yeah. She's in this like white cloth robe thing that's always flowing. Her hair flows, but in unnatural, like it like blends into her like her her body she's always this like super pale white light blue and her eyes glow red and in the third issue of wolverine is the first time we see her speak yeah for the longest time she was just this presence that you see and then she fades away from view or you see her and then you see the person that she controls because she's psychically controlling people and then at the end she starts to actually speak and she's like, I don't need to get inside you to control you because Wolverine uh, steals Magneto's helmet because Magneto's helmet is famous for blocking psychic probes. I so love ste- that. Gets, that was gets really him drunk. <laughs> gets Magneto blackout drunk to where Magneto passes out at the bar and he steals Magneto's helmet and <laughs> goes on great. this mission. It, well, that was so strange, but it's more of this whole writing characters that are not in your title to have their personalities fit the story that you that you need to go tell right now. And that happens a lot in Dawn of X, <laughs> but whatever. And so we just have Wolverine show up to try to deal with all this. And then, you know, bad guy gets away because of psychic BS. Yeah, it was a thing. I also just loved the take on Wolverine in this just uh, there were a lot of character notes that hit really really nicely for me in terms of what his motivations are right now and how he's feeling in Krakoa we got that sort of brief glimpse in the first issue of X-Force right when he said we need to keep sharp everything seems nice but you know we're still a hundred people and Uh you know the, the tests are still coming for us. But in this, we have a few things. One, he has that heart to heart with Kitty mm-hmm. at the start, kind of reveals that, no, he's not happy. <laughs> right. And he's a character who can't really be happy. And yeah. that's just a trait of Logan. The next one, there's a line here where he's talking about how he's always acted on gut instinct. And part of that is, you know, well, he's this animalistic character, but he, they take it a step further here. And he has a line, somebody who takes the time to think shit out and they bleep it out. But, you know, we don't have to. We're not owned <laughs> by Disney. Somebody who takes the time to think shit out and plan ahead is somebody who believes in a better future. I've never been that guy, but I'm trying to be that guy now. And then at the very end of the arc, when they succeed in their mission and they stop the flow of illicit pollen. Bannister and Wolverine are celebrating in Bannister's yard and his kid is well again and all that running around and they're just drinking beers in his backyard and Bannister says you're so convinced you're bad it gets in the way of being good I thought that was a really good line for Wolverine yeah it really is yeah I hope they continue this semi-partnership between Bannister and Logan I think they play off each other really well. Yeah, I have to suspect that Bannister's not going to be a character anymore, but we'll see. I mean, like, I guess you might be right. But so, like, they go into Bannister's backstory and his injury on his head was mutant-related. It was, like, collateral Mm -hmm. damage, for lack of a better term. It was a big deal for him to go and work with the mutants to get to the bottom of this pollen thing. And he already exercised that entire arc (laughs) of getting over his aversion to working with mutants and blah, blah, blah. So he could be used later as a plot point, but he Mm -hmm. may not actually be used going forward. Oh, and then uh, Logan leaves a gate at Bannister's house. Right, yeah. I assume so he can go back and have a beer if he wanted to. (laughs) (laughs) I really like that use of gates. Like, wouldn't you? 
Yeah, if you oh could just gosh. make teleportation gates, just be right? like to the comic shop. Just like, yeah, pop in. Show up. Hey, let me just do this real quick. All right, yeah, I'm hang out. Did you see what's next on Wolverine? Well, I read a little bit of it. Oh, right. Issue one was actually a double issue, right. and it had the first. Yeah, it had the first bit of the next arc. So I won't try and get too deep into that. Yeah, that's fine. It just says next Vampire Nation. Yep. Which is so strange. It's, yeah. Man, it's, that, it's very different. <sighs> Curse of the Vampires was a yeah. fine story. Nah. With the exception of Scott remotely turning off Logan's healing factor so he could become a vampire. <laughs> And so, like, the fact that the Wolverine title is going into Vampire Nation, I, uh, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so let's hit Marauders next. Let's hit Marauders. Oh, my gosh. First of all, there's a lot of plot and interesting and important parts to Marauders that we should and need to talk about. I don't want to talk about that yet. There are two things that I want to talk about first. First is Callisto and the scene with Callisto and Emma, mm-hmm. where Emma is recruiting Callisto to be her white knight. And side side note, I like that they're filling out all of the chess pieces. Like I want to see all three colors have rooks, bishops. <laughs> is there a rook? There has been before. I think Harry Lee really? was a rook. Yeah. Okay. I thought it was always just king or queen and then a knight and a bishop it's always been super spotty the roles to my understanding have never meant anything and they've never been fully uh, i mean it's basically king queen and then anyone be under them <laughs> right yeah, yeah yeah and then not all houses even have both a king and a queen but whatever right they made a call back to something that i was shocked to see and that was callisto's modeling days right i did not know about this yeah i forget exactly how it happened but she was fixed up to be like her scars taken away and all of that and Mm. right after colossus went through the siege perilous he was also amnesiac and he was just an artist living in a soho loft named peter yeah that's all i want for him (laughs) and he was dating callisto who was a model they had a near romance and then they remembered (laughs) <laughs> their previous lives and they're like yeah actually not neither of us are really interested in each other but i was really shocked to see a call back to that yeah and jumbo carnation is a very fun character it's nice to see him revived and then the other thing is mask playing golf just absolutely killed me I don't know why. He's just the most he's just the most obnoxiously one-dimensional character throughout Claremont's run where he's just like we hate that they're pretty and we will make everything ugly. Uh, and they really lampshade their whole previous attitude with the line, "How many years did we waste sitting around in the dark bitching about the good life that the pretty ones lived?" Mm. And now he, now he's out on a golf course in a retirement community in Arizona just living it up. I thought that was wonderful. It just... So uh, when Callisto was calling a med on that, and then Mask asked, you don't take an offense to Kitty calling herself a marauder. Oh, and then yeah. immediately Callisto calls her Kate. Like yeah. the immediate. Yeah. She's going by Kate now, by the way. And, and also <laughs> that she is like totally excuses it. Like they bring this up that, yeah, this could very well be a point of conflict. And yeah. then just yeah. sweep it away is interesting. Yeah, and just the whole like you're a Morlock. It's just mm-hmm. the Marauders. Like, what, yeah, what what are you what are you doing? Yeah, um, totally. But like 
almost every issue in the Dawn books has at least one speech bubble of this like, this is weird, right? yeah yeah (laughs) yeah yeah. this harmony that everyone has it's not right right yeah (laughs) it just continually reinforces this like unease that i have just building in my bones about all things krakoan and freaking the quiet council and all this ridiculousness it's oh my gosh yeah and that just builds even more for me in the issues of x-men oh oh yeah oh Yes, oh, we are so getting there. Also, yeah. but well, so one thing in Marauders that I did yeah. not like, right after that conversation with Mask, they cut to the Quiet Council meeting, and the groups are messed up. Oh, the they they're not sitting in their seasons in, in the right chairs. No, and it <laughs> bugs so much. <laughs> the three Hellfires are sitting at their table, but then you have Mystique sitting with Jean and yeah. Nightcrawler and not Storm. Right, and you have have storm sitting with xavier and magneto and not apocalypse and you have apocalypse sitting with sinister and exodus and that's not how they're supposed to be sitting shame on on the artist of issue seven of marauders not everybody's sitting in their right seats the quiet You're, like they they made such ele- a elementary deal. school teacher will is is very upset right now right but like they have constructed all of Kirkoan governance Mm -hmm. around the Quiet Council and the four seasons of the Quiet Council. Yeah. The four groups of three all represent very specific groups of the Mm -hmm. X-Men's and mutants history. Yeah. How dare they (laughs) go and change this up? Yeah. You can't do that. Yeah. You cannot do that. You can maybe you can do that with the Knights of the Round Table. (laughs) But this, this, no, no, sir. It's not. Yeah, yeah. But also <laughs> the look on Sinister's face when Emma's like, and one abstention. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> well, I have zero skin in this race. <laughs> but it's also so perfect Sinister to be able to leverage his abstention for future favors. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, man. Marauders. <sighs> so one thing about Marauders we know that Lockheed is alive. He yeah. got dredged up and resuscitated by a little Magiporian girl. Yes. Kitty, and... we still don't know about. We still don't know if she's alive or dead. Okay, but... but Am I wrong? Am I crazy? Bishop finds her. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my God, I'm crazy. Never mind. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I was like, hold all the phones. Okay, in your defense, we know how Kitty died. Because we know that Shaw killed her and shoved her over the edge. We have Bishop infiltrating somebody's submarine. And in doing so, he finds Kitty tied up and underwater and dead. Right. And he reaches out to Emma and is like, OMG, holy crap, this just happened. And then when he's putting her in the body bag, he takes some of the rope that is tied around her legs and takes a snip of it and puts it in his pocket. Right. And then he moves on. And then Iceman shows up. We also never see her face in the body bag, though. We don't. And so in your defense, that could be a plant. Because when Shaw kills her in Marauders, he takes branches and ties her up and pulls her into water. So right. we do see her lose consciousness 
underwater yep. but she's tied up by branches so i don't know what this yellow thing is that was around her legs when bishop finds her that is a difference in continuity but that'll be explored later i'm sure but what i want to focus on for a second is ice man angry ice man absolutely brutal oh, holy shit my sweet christmas he so as with all things ice man he heralds himself by turning everything in the room to ice yeah and the nameless faceless mercenary guys like what the hell's happening and bobby shows up busts through a hole in the wall that he creates from his ice and it only shows his eyes glowing on an all blacked out <laughs> face and yeah. it his, takes everything arm he, is his, ice axe his, yeah a giant axe out of an arm and just under his breath just says murderers and then just goes to town and like every other time i've seen iceman in the last 20 years get angry or lose his cool for lack of a better term it's ice everywhere yeah it's like glaciers out of nothing yeah he just goes crazy but this this was targeted focused and focused he freezes this guy's hand when he tries to go and pull the trigger of a gun and his finger breaks off on the trigger unreal and you see that it's now happening to everyone and bishop is like dude stop and he's like ah no and then (laughs) you see angry Iceman quiet and then you see him come back and he's like kill no man that is mutant law he's telling himself yeah. He can't kill these guys. He can't kill these guys. <laughs> and he says, but an eye for an eye is man's law. And he walks up to this guy who has already lost arm. his finger from the ice and legitimately just breaks off the man's arm. And he sucks up all of the ice in the I've room. never seen him do this. And then everything is exactly as it was. Undoes his ice i've never seen him take his ice back he always shoots it out he's always sharing his ice he never pulls it back yeah oh my goodness this is bobby on a whole new level the last time i got this hyped over bobby iceman was in wolverine and the x-men (laughs) some almost 10 years ago because (laughs) it goes into this flashback where wolverine is recruiting people to go and teach at the school and he recruits bobby and bobby's like why do you even want me he's like because i know that you can be serious and you haven't been serious and i think this is going to give you a serious role and he's like fine you want to be serious and this is during an invasion of the x mansion and he's like fine i'll get serious and he creates clones of himself yeah and creates all these snowmen of ice and single handedly repels back the entire invasion force and then it's the first time he's ever made these dupes of his body and so he like loses consciousness afterwards but it's like fine you want me to be serious that's fine that i got hyped on that because that was a reimagining of bobby and how to use his ice powers that i hadn't seen to date and then you've got this bobby and oh my lord oh my oh my goodness he is trying so hard to be my new favorite character (laughs) (laughs) and bobby's fantastic oh my gosh i love bobby so much i always have yeah and and this just this 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 is this oh man like when i think of iconic like spider-man scenes Mm. it's it's always when the like handful of scenes where either Pete is all like heart and spirit and inspirational or when he's been driven to the point where he's no longer holding back. 
Oh, yeah. Like when he completely, utterly castrates Fisk in prison (sighs) in Back in Black. And he holds him up by his chest, not his shirt, by his physical chest. He holds him back and he just slaps him back and forth. That is serious Pete being like, fine, no more games. This is serious Bobby, (laughs) no more games. And oh my goodness. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's all good, man. He just... He loses it. And then Storm finds out and she loses it and lets it out. And she has a heart to heart with Emma, which was beautiful. That was incredible. Storm shows up and she's just all, she's crying. She's angry. She's freaking out. And she slaps Emma across the face and they kind of have a tender moment. They hug it out. Emma says, I want to give you a gift. And Storm says, it's going to be hard to compete with getting to slap you upside the head after all these years. (laughs) (laughs) They have a little more conversation. Storm says, now the White Queen gives me hope. Today is truly humbling. And Emma (laughs) says, if you like, I can turn into my diamond form. You can knock me around if it'll make you feel better. (laughs) Storm says, goddess, you never change, Emma. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. What a great just picture of both of these characters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then we see that Shaw is expanding his chess pieces by bringing on the Fenris twins. Ugh. As Sinister's as... right in his notes. Gross. They're just gross. They're just incestual, privileged little pricks. And there are few villains that fill me with just like this visceral distaste like Fenris. They're just... Ugh. Yeah, I've, ne- I've, I've never liked them. I'm really interested to see where they're going next. <laughs> yeah. But I am. Yeah, I'm equally not a fan. But yeah, so they are both going to be Black Knights. Interesting stuff. Interesting stuff. And then um, in Marauders 9, Yellow Jacket, the Pym Particle villain, <laughs> for lack of a better term, <laughs> uh-huh. has hitched a ride inside Pyro's body mm-hmm. back to Krakoa. And he's hijacked his like eyes and ears so he can mm-hmm. record and see everything that's that he sees. And he realizes that the mutants are onto him. And so he just returns to full size inside Pyro's head. Oh my head. gosh. <laughs> so gross. Yeah. Thank goodness that was a psychic projection. But at the same time, like that should be a more impactful scene. Like, I get that it was, yeah. again, it was Emma controlling his brain and tricking him into thinking that this is what happened. Yep, thinking but that like, he shot Emma in the head too. Yeah, but like death in Marvel comics has always <laughs> been a, okay, well, let's see how they come back eventually. But like now it's just straight up like, well, we'll just be reborn. So it's fine. Like they have an actual method yeah. for bringing mutants back. And in these three volumes, they're starting to explore that more. Yep. And are there ramifications of that kind of a thing? Is there an impact to this kind, this rebirth, this continual rebirth? Totally. Yep. Um, and they explore and that in a couple explores, ways. Explores yeah. that pretty well. Uh, so does X-Men. Yeah. Um, oh, God. Yeah. Well, uh, the last thing about Marauders that I have is that they trace this back to Verendi and yeah. Pyro gives them all a, a nice like psychic, psychic head burning burn. And yeah. then there's a short scene with the five being, yes. I presume, unable to revive Kitty. Yep. Well, OK, two potential thoughts on this one this leans more towards what the hell is going on with kitty because she can't use the kirkoan gates right and now they're unable to revive her 
Right. She's been rejected from Krakoa for some reason. Completely. Yeah. But then this also leans towards maybe she can't be reborn if she's not dead. Right. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, gosh, we haven't even explored that. Making a clone of someone and implanting their memories before they even died. So I think that gets explored in the X Factor title. I think when X Factor starts up, which it hasn't in our Dawn reading yet. Mm -hmm. They're an investigative agency to see, did somebody actually really die so that they may be able to be revived? Yeah. Okay, cool. I'm excited about that. I'm very excited about that. So I really want to know what's going on with Kitty. Me too. Um, Sorry, Kate. I really like Kate as a character. I was finally getting sold on her being Red Queen Mm -hmm. and this kind of new personality that she's got. Dawn. I was here for it. I was was starting to get a feel for what's going on and what she's doing and all this. Mm -hmm. And then... One, they killed her. <laughs> right. And two, now we can't even bring her back. Yeah. Like, this is going to lead to a larger conversation, but like we talked off camera. So I have this chaos theory mm. that this is all Xavier. Like, again, Xavier died, has died a handful of times, but this, this, <laughs> this, <laughs> this most recent resurrection. Second most recent resurrection. Most recent oh, pre. Yeah, pre, pre-dawn. Pre-dawn. Yeah. So uh, his <laughs> resurrection pre-dawn, he was trapped on the psychic plane by the Shadow King and he used Phantom X's body and rearranged it on the molecular level and then implanted himself into that body and that is x and his speech bubbles in that title were black with white writing Mm -hmm. and the next time we see him is in powers of 10 and house of x and now in dawn he only ever has the cerebral helmet on and it takes away the humanity that charles always like exudes yeah, I feel like there has to be some sort of wide sweeping psychic push and nudge that he is doing that is fucking with everyone on Krakoa. Yeah. And maybe it's a partnership with Krakoa because the first time a mutant goes through the gates, they psychically learn the Krakoan alphabet. Right. And so maybe there's something in there. And so, oh God, to even spiral from that, the more issues we read, the more Krakoan alphabet is starting to show up. Also, (laughs) the more familiar it's getting to me as a reader. Like I know, right? We both had it open just to be to (laughs) to refer back to while we're reading comics and translate things. And yeah, I'm getting to the point where like half the letters, I'm like, yeah, I know what that is. Yeah, yeah. Well, so (laughs) it's warming our way, it's warming its way into us too. I know we it's, are it's obnoxious. We are suspect as subjects of, of Krakoa. In volume nine, Beast has a coffee mug yep. that says morning sunshine, morning sunshine. in Krakoan. <laughs> but like as issues go on, so as the Krakoan time goes on, it's getting more and more prevalent. Yeah. In all of their notes. It's not just in English anymore. There's more and more presence of Krakoan language. So I still propose that it's an Xavier thing. And then right before we started recording, you had brought up that maybe it's a Krakoa thing. Yeah. Which maybe. (laughs) Well, so there are two scenes in our reading today that lead me towards the Krakoa path. I agree that it could very well be that something's up with Xavier because with his eyes covered like that, very creepy, hard to trust. Mm -hmm. But one is a scene in X-Men 7 where 
Cyclops is wandering around and he's looking for Kurt and he comes across Doug and Warlock hanging out and there's a giant separate and there's a giant Krakoa face behind them. Yes. And Cyclops is like, what the fuck did I just see? And it cuts away. It it cuts away and then it cuts back and then it cuts back. And there's no Krakoa face and Warlock is back on Doug's arm. Yeah. That the was other super creepy. Is whatever the hell is going on with Black Tom Cassidy. Oh, I know. He's losing it. He is absolutely losing it. And in X-Force, which we'll get to also in a bit, he sees a Krakoa face in his coffee and he freaks out. Yeah. And it's funny. So like, I just finished that issue uh-huh. 10 minutes before we got on the camera uh-huh. together. And then you saying that it might be Krakoa. It's just like... well maybe it is (laughs) but like even if xavier only was controlling the quiet council and the five yeah that is so much unparalleled power on the island it's it's really true and it's just so straight like i can imagine being hickman watching the x titles over the years and seeing how krakoa really became a character yeah, um, just in the last 10 years. With just the, on the last the few X-Men. years. Yeah, where it's like the groundskeeper, basically. It became, and also like, the grounds. Yeah. <laughs> when Wolverine and the X-Men spend a lot of time being like, anyone who is an aberration from your normal kind, yep, you are allowed to hear. So, so uh, you kid, have kid Gladiator. You kid, have I was Brew, about to say, yep, yep. Brew, who was basically a runt of the brood. And then you find out that Krakoa, one, is a species, and two, he is a mutant of his species. Well, the Krakoa that we met way back in Giant, Giant Size, Size X-Men. X-Men number one. So the whole premise of that book is they go to this remote island in the South Pacific to find a mutant of immense power that showed up on Cerebro. And they get there and they find that the whole island is the mutant. So that's part of who Krakoa was from the very start. Okay. I'm not aware of that. <laughs> I mean, uh, it, it, and- it, it's the type of thing where they say that in the 70s and you're like, well, that's dumb. Like the whole right. island's Let's forget about Okay, that. sure. Whatever. Yeah. And then they- 45 for- years later, 30, they're like, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's actually a thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but then, so like in Wolverine, the X-Men and the X-Titles afterwards, Krakoa was given a face. Yep. And it kind of looked like man thing with a mouth, less vines, more earth. Yeah. It had a mouth, it had big glowing eyes, it was very expressive. And then we get to Dawn and it's a giant Olmec face on the wall. Yeah. It's just kind of present. This most stoic fucking thing. Yeah. Like it's weird. And then we have Krakoa falling in love with Arako or Arako or yeah. yeah. And merging. So now there's this monster island connected to Krakoa and they just yep. doubled in size. Yeah. There's a volcano and Apocalypse is totally cool with it because he knows the person that was on Monster Island. It, <laughs> what is happening? Yeah. <laughs> oh man. So I'm totally here for a Krakoan based theory, but I still like <sighs> Xavier. He's not guy ain't right. Something's off. And then another thing of like writing a character to fit my story. Nightcrawler had zero accent in X-Men 7. I've noticed a larger trend of dialogue containing less explicit markers of accent. Yeah. Like Rain, they've really toned it down. Yeah. She still has a little bit, but nowhere near as strong as it used to be. Yeah, yeah. And just most characters in general, I feel. Gambit, they've toned it down. 
significantly. Yeah. I was also thinking about that with like Colossus doesn't have little like random words. Yeah. Yeah. Random Russian thrown in here and there. Kurt had zero accent in this. I don't mind it personally. They're good for like if it's your first time reading this character and it's like, okay, you need to learn or be told somehow that these aren't all American. But I think it's kind of a weak tool in general in Mm. writing to spell out accents it, that's yeah it doesn't take away from the story yeah i don't feel like we're ever going to have a german nationalist <laughs> story based around kurt yeah so yeah yeah for that's sure fine. <laughs> yeah so next on the list for me is excalibur we only had one issue of excalibur in these three volumes uh-huh. and it was a bit of a just kind of passing some time like I didn't really get what was going on there or why, but Warwolves are fun. So I'm assuming you've never read Warwolves before. I'm going to say no, but I'm pretty sure they have. Okay, yeah. They were introduced in the very first issue of Excalibur. They were the first villain, basically. And I remember a while ago on this pod, you were talking about Tarot, Uh Avengers and Defenders Tarot, which Mm -hmm. was the book by Alan Davis. And I forgot to mention at the time, like reading Alan Davis is a very different experience from anything else at Marvel. Like Mm. I didn't get it at first. And then I read just like a ton of his Captain Britain work back to back. And it finally kind of made sense to me is that you can't really take things that happen as if they're important because he just moves on from idea to idea so quickly that it's like, oh, this this is going to be fun to draw. Let's do this. Oh, let's just throw more and more and more shit out there. Let's go chaos. Let's, you know, and it, it's a very sort of like storybook style. Like, and then this happened and then this happened and then this happened. And it's just kind of like flooding the zone with ideas. Okay. And so Warwolves was one of those. And it's never really been picked up since then because I don't really think that they fit anywhere else like they're these weird silver things but then they swallow people and then they take on their something and blah 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 yeah I got I was thinking of Predator X's yeah I don't yeah, think I've yeah. seen Warwolves they have this weird sort of creepy fox hunt type thing and their host who's a bloodstone is like a real weirdo they cut off all the heads of all the war wolves, but they find a baby and in insist, true X-Men fashion. Yep. And insist that they leave it alive. Like apocalypse, like <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like every other youngling they've ever come across. Like a brew. Right. Um, the baby war wolf is really the only thing that's kind of a takeaway. The other takeaway I found oh, an apocalypse wants to kill it, but he yes. acquiesces. Yeah, he's like, fine. But um, Richter's abilities, now that he's like tapped into this whole druid thing, seems very different. Yeah. Like, it used to just be ground shaky. Now he like controls vines and he has like, has more finite control over what his abilities actually do. It's true. Yeah. Do you have anything else on Excalibur or should we move on? No, Excalibur was kind of a non-starter. I think it was weird that Rogue decided to use the skin of a werewolf as a cape. Yeah. But you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, X-Men. Let's go into X-Men. X-Men. Crucible. The Crucible. That is my first note, actually, for X-Men is just the word crucible and a question mark. Crucible. <laughs> also, that tower that Kurt teleported into. Yeah. 
so many creepy things going on in Krakoa. They're just like, it was made because it was a sort of thing that someone here would want. And it's completely hollow, but it's so beautiful. Like the island made it just for me. Yeah. So that building has a psychic connection to the person that goes in and it gives them what they want. Yeah. It's everything they could want. So this is sort of like a prison slash heaven that they can send the non-starters mm-hmm. to. Mm-hmm. And they don't pick it up later. There's this two-pronged tower and there's no way in. Mm. Wolverine tried slashing in and it regenerates faster than Wolverine can get through. And Kurt just attempted to go in because he wanted to know what it was like. He did a blind jump and inside it was the most beautiful thing. And it was almost like it was made for him. But but also, if that's the only way in is teleportation, maybe this is strictly just for teleporters and maybe it actually is just for Kurt. I don't know. And, I don't know. And it has this very spiritual church-like aesthetic. Like there's a stained glass sort of vibe yeah. to it on the inside. And then at the end of this issue, he says, I'm going to have to invent a mutant religion. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Oh my goodness. Kurt, what? It's incredible. This is kind of setting up a spiritual conflict on the island as well because so okay let's just go real quick through what the fuck the crucible actually is what is crucible when so many mutants were depowered by scarlet witch at the end of house of m called m day she said no more mutants and mutant powers for like 99 percent of the mutant population were shut off but the former mutants were given home on krakoa as well so if they were to die they'd be resurrected with their powered body And it was apparently a big matter of ethics on the council as to what do you do about this? And the proposal that won out was a fucking gladiatorial combat against apocalypse where you prove your right to be a mutant again, essentially. There's also this question about like, it's supposed to bring us back as our best selves and our best self is somebody without mutants, but what's to stop somebody from saying, well, my best self is in Magneto's body with his powers or like when we cross two or three, which just makes me think about whatever the fuck is sinister up to, which was previewed in powers of 10, where you have all of these chimeric mutants and different powers and, and bodies spliced together, which is a thing that sinister is already working on here on the Island. We got those little tidbits earlier. So I feel like, The Crucible is really the introduction of Apocalypse's influence on Krakoa and Krakoan society. Like Krakoa is really the triumvirate. And if you go even all the way back to Powers of Ten and Moira's shenanigans, right? It's this isn't just the fusion of Magneto and Xavier. It's really the fusion of them plus apocalypse. You know, from Magneto, you have the separatist nation for mutants. For Xavier, you've got this kill no man ethos and and the idea that, yeah, we are a separatist nation, but we choose to engage the rest of the world in peace and cooperation, more or less, you know, with the power to be able to back it up, but we are not hostile to the rest of the world. From Apocalypse, you're getting this ethos of strength and primacy, you know, survival of the fittest, primacy of strength, and the crucible being you have to prove your strength, prove your worthiness to die and be reborn with your powers. And especially with his concurrent interest in magic in Excalibur, he is sort of 
being introduced as this spiritual guidepost for Krakoan society. And Kurt obviously takes offense to that being <laughs> literally a priest. And it's going to be interesting to see where that conflict takes them. Yeah. Cause Kurt is on the quiet council. That's yeah. a real up jump for him. And seriously, I mean, I would say it's well-deserved. He's had leadership experience as the leader of the first Excalibur. You know, he has the history for it, but the real way that you pull him away from so many other mutants that would have a credible claim with similar leadership experience is spirituality. Yeah. I think that's what he brings to the council and interesting to see. Where let's this also, conflict let's, goes. Let's also not forget that every story where someone dies, they end up in some random sort of afterlife or hell or spiritual journey or whatever. Kurt was in heaven. Right. Yeah. Kurt was actually in heaven and he gave it up to finish his job on earth. A couple more notes. One, so the first mutant to go through this whole crucible process, this, this trial by combat is Melody Guthrie sister to Sam and Paige, codenamed Arrow, <laughs> but a different Arrow than the one that you just read. Yep. <laughs> anyway, the tone with which it's accepted and promoted by her siblings, like they're going to watch her die and it's a positive thing, mm -hmm. was chilling. Well, Sam and Paige, right before the killing blow, yeah. were about to jump in. Yeah, they're terrified they when it happens. But when they're telling her, today is the day, it's time. Yeah. She is moved to tears. She's so excited. And Sam and Paige are just like stoic. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And that like, it's more of this, like, what is this society? Yeah. It's so morose. Yeah. It's, it's weird. It's, oh my gosh. And so this is what bothers me is when Melody gets brought back apocalypse. Well, one apocalypse has this like, sad face because mm. he was the one that had to kill her and he yeah. loves her as his own and so like that was amazing to see yeah and then you have faceless xavier who his role of supervising the five is to implant all the memories into yeah. the new body but then you have storm who by her presence as one of the three that brings her back yeah her presence there like she signs off on this right that kind of throws me off a bit. Totally. Yeah. The other note that I have on this issue is that they titled it Life Death, which is a callback to an issue of X-Men in the 80s. So the government is hunting down Rogue because of her criminal past. And she's recently joined the X-Men. The X-Men are going to vouch for her. And I think it's Guy Rich who has the gun. It's like a gun that takes away your mutant powers on a permanent basis. And it turns out that Forge invented it. And he tries to shoot Rogue and Storm jumps in the way and Storm's powers are taken away for several years. And in that time, she's depressed because her powers aren't just like, oh, she can shoot lightning bolts. Like she feels an intense connection to weather and the world that her powers give her access to. And so she's despondent. She is near suicidal and she while she's recovering she meets forge they slowly fall in love it's is really the first story with forge in it she never learns his name <laughs> see your face there and then she finds out that he was the inventor of the gun and leaves him but in this sort of like finding love she finds a new reason to live mm -hmm. and so that's a very conscious callback to that 
for some reason. And I think it's the, the similar like life without powers is like death idea. Anyway, do you want to talk about X-Force before jumping back to X-Men? Um, sure. So the main thrust of it is Domino, who oh, man. she was captured by, uh, they're Russian, right? Some sort of yes. Russian organization. And they took a bunch of like skin and body parts and her eye off of her. And when she was recovered and brought back to Krakoa, they gave her a bunch of Krakoan plant technology grafts, which she's able to like morph into weapons and so on. And the idea was that the bad guys were using mutant tissue to be able to use the teleportation gates to gain access to Krakoa. And that's how they assassinated Xavier. They also took powers specifically from Domino her luck powers and there is this domino empowered assassin who's going around assassinating pro-mutant voices around the world and they hunt him down they take him out then it turns out that it's not just one domino there's several they knock them over in a train car like literal dominoes Uh. but the first part is sort of a real focus on the domino storyline yeah This is basically kind of wrapping up what they're going to do with Domino and how she's dealing with being a human tissue donor, basically, and the fact that she survived. What we don't see on page is what Colossus went through trying to save Russian mutant children to bring them to Krakoa. But uh, he did not die from those attacks either. So you have a Colossus and a Domino who have survived very violent, nightmarish experiences and are trying to like live with this very traumatic experiences. And for Domino, it's explicit. Like she says several times, like, I could be rid of these memories, but I don't want to be like, right. It's important for me to carry this with me. And then after they have this big raid on the train full of fake Dominoes, which they track down by doing satellite imaging of four-leaf clovers. Yeah, it's which, weird, but uh, weird, but, but kind of cool. Very cool. It, yeah. <laughs> also, they, that's just right before that. That was yeah. a very important scene. So neither Domino and Colossus can sleep, and so they've been crossing paths in the yeah. middle of the night. Yeah. And the last time before the train Domino right. scene, they're like at a bay. And Colossus is like, I could end this for us. Like, we don't have to continue to live with this pain. I could take a hold of you. I can go metal. I can jump into the water and not let go. Yeah. We'd be reborn anyway. Yeah. And when we get reborn, we don't have to have these memories. And And Domino says, but I want to remember. I I need to remember. And then after the train raid, she gets mortally wounded. She's dying in his arms. And she says, when I come back, I want to keep it all, all the pain. I want to remember everything. Do you promise me, Peter? I won't die on you unless you promise. And he says, I promise. She says, thank you. Mm-hmm. And then in the next issue, she's back. Next and she issue, doesn't remember. she's back. And she remembers that it happened. Mm-hmm. Or oh, I should say she knows that it happened, but she does not remember any of the trauma that's, that she's been through, which is either a disconnect slash gift from Colossus, breaking his promise, but saying Nina doesn't deserve this. Or it's um, meddling. On behalf of it is Krakoa and the Five. Mother 
effing Xavier being like, no, that's going to lead her astray from what I need her to do. Let's just let her know that it happened, but she doesn't need to remember the pain. Yeah. And she is so happy-go-lucky in the next issue. Yep. And to the point where Such like- Such a tonal change. Yeah, so where Logan is even just like, are you sure you're okay? Yeah. Like, you are very different. She's like, what, what, are you, what are you talking about? I'm fine. He's like, you've been a little more anger direction. Da, da, da. And she's like, what do you want me to be a second Wolverine? <laughs> but, but like, <laughs> it screams meddling and I don't like it. And yep. I, 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 I need people to be on the up and up. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Oh, it's, man. it's uncomfortable. It also sort of starts what looks like it's going to be the next major arc in yeah. X-Force, which is the Terra Verde. We saw Terra Verde briefly, right? Was that the cartel that was attacking Beak and Angel in Nebraska? Were they yes. connected to Terra Verde? Okay. So Terra Verde is another fictional nation in Marvel Universe. They did not sign up to be part of the Krakoan Treaty because the invention of these wonder drugs basically wrecked their economy. They were trying to do the same thing with this sort of plant tech which there's a really cool aside in here to give a real deep cultural and spiritual history on Terra Verde uh, and, and why this is such a big part of their culture. I thought that was awesome, but they invented this plant technology and it's invasive and it takes over basically all of the people and turns them into horrible body horror creatures. Yeah. And the whole town is just like, overgrown with plants and there's a temple that it seems to all be coming from to try to do like an easy explanation of terra verde is the same way that wakanda has been cut off from the world and they've created their wealth and prosperity around vibranium right terra verde tried to adopt that same idea but instead of vibranium they're doing plant tech yeah and it went horribly wrong (laughs) Mm-hmm. And so even though they cut themselves off from the world, it started getting weird and like they started having like information blackouts and then all of a sudden no lights were ever turning on. Like when you had like satellite images of Terra Verde, you could at least see that there's life teeming and there's and you know cities and metropolises and all this other stuff. And then recently the entire country has gone dark both physically and communicatively and beast uh beast has picks up black tom by the scruff of his neck and says go to terravede and deal with these malignant weeds essentially yes. well so beast carries this sort of like i should help guilt because he feels that terravede's decline and haste in their process was created because krakoan tech has mm-hmm basically just dwarfed anything they've come up with so far yeah and so he feels this like need to help them yeah that we get a glimpse of what's going on with terry verde and we have black tom losing his mind because he's listening to it's like (laughs) watching a million tv screens at once with his connection to krakoa yeah and so beast is like oh you want a break let me send you to this other plant-based country and go deal with that please thanks bye yeah so anything else on X-Force? I mean, I still don't like Beast being on X-Force and him being cold and calculating. It's not, it's hashtag not my beast, but I really want to see where it goes next. It's been yeah. a while since I've wanted to read the next volume of something so bad. Yeah. 
again, it's really kicking off the next story arc proper here with issue nine. Okay. Okay. How about next we go to the giant sized Emma Frost and Jean Grey? Sure. Yeah. Psychic Rescue. Yeah. So interesting. I, I loved that they did an issue of no speech. Right. I knew that that was, I was excited for that for you. Yeah. I love when they do that. So giant lightning bolts that kids saw. They yeah. went to go see what it was. They find Storm on the ground, some blood on the ground. And then the next time we see them, it's Storm on a Krakoan operating table. And Emma and Jean go into her mind. In Krakoan, outside, it says, silence, psychic rescue in progress. Right. And so okay. I yeah, don't right. know why it's immediately a psychic rescue. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not apparent to me that Storm is dead and so they had to find the latest version of Storm so they can revive her or if this is they never explicitly say she's still alive she's just mentally lost we need to go find her like they just go straight into a psychic rescue yeah I don't know how they declare that needs to be a psychic rescue but whatever Emma and Jean hop into her mind her mind is very African plainsy it pulls a lot from her time as the queen of Wakanda um, oh, I was going to say her time as a goddess. As an in actual Kenya. goddess in Kenya. Yeah, absolutely. All that stuff. So, all the spiritual side of her time in Africa, we'll say, was pulled very heavily. And there are some beautiful visuals. Beautiful, um, beautiful use of color here. And yeah. And with, just, uh, it was so good. Emma being sort of represented in blue and Jean being represented in red. And Dude, then some of the pages on this made me want so badly to see what the writer notes were Uh or how they're representing all of this. What the script looks like for sure. I want to see that so bad, but anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It love, no text love just using visuals. So evocatively to tell stories. This, (laughs) I love this little scene here where um, it's sort of like King and queen lion pop up mm -hmm. and they psychically ask like, who were you to storm? And Jean's like, we were friends. See, look, here's her and I hugging. Mm-hmm. And the king lion smiles. And the queen lion looks at Emma. She's like, okay, like, who are you? you? And she's like, like, I don't shrugged. know, man. She's like, we, we beat the shit fight. out of each other. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, then the, and then the whole thing goes haywire. Um, yeah. They're attacked by snakes. And they, they fight them off. And Jean kind of pulls it all back together. Oh, dude, and how they display text in this how it's been wrapped into the environment and yeah. stuff is just so it's gorgeous. Love it. Yeah. I love it. Emma and Jean finding this sort of like psychic egg for storm, but it's not right. It's mechanical and they pull out storm and her flesh falls off and they see this sort of Android body with a time behind her to save me from this. They find out that, the children of the vault gave Storm a machine virus that's going to kill her in the next 30 days. We ought to talk. That's the end. And it just ends. So we'll see. Right. Yeah. We'll so, see and so, with so many plot threads in Dawn of X that are just like seriously. dropped out there. And then we'll like, did the children of the vault storyline just happen for this? And then also for whatever the fuck is going to happen when Laura and Darwin come back. Oh my gosh. I know. Right. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So this is where it messes me up. Okay. So she has this 30 day timer implanted in her somehow, somewhere. Why can't we kill her and make a new one? 
It's a good question. Maybe they want to study it, you know? Maybe they want to study it and or maybe this goes back to the only mutants who are quote unquote worthy of the five's resurrection are the ones that die in battle or in service of Krakoa. And if they just kill Storm, that's going to be a real long conversation of how that was in service of Krakoa. I don't see that being the case, but we'll see. Yeah. Oh, man. That's is Oh, my goodness. I love it. You want to hit Cable next? Yes. So Cable. This is young Cable. And yep. while I was reading it, I was lamenting about how I didn't like that this is young Cable. He's inexperienced Cable. He also doesn't seem like a Cable that was actually trained by the Ascani. No. Um, not even at though all. he says his name is Ascani son. But like the Cable that we've known is that he was trained into adulthood as the Ascani son. He didn't start time traveling until like way later. But yeah. we have this time traveling young Cable. He killed old man Cable a bit ago. And so he has now established himself as young Cable. And then he had a storyline on old X-Force pre-dawn as young Cable. And everyone's just like, I don't know if I trust you. You killed old man Cable. And he's like, right. yeah, but I'm Cable. So just freaking listen to me. Thanks. Bye. Right. Um, and so I'm reading the first issue of Cable and I'm like, man, I miss old cable like Uh old cable was such a trope he was such a character he was so consistent like he was always the cold man he was always the military man he was always the calculating like he was the mutant nick fury for right yeah 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 yeah. and And then and i'm just so not i'm not a huge fan of this baby cable and then the very last page of cable one we uh uh, there's old man cable in some like hell dimension or something yeah so i'm excited (laughs) yeah (laughs) i'm ready to read cable because i want old man cable back yeah i also had a note i'm still not used to kid cable as a character yeah just very so funny very uncomfortable um there is one great line in here though when he said i admire your pouches (laughs) (laughs) yeah nice throwback (laughs) oh yeah 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 that's it fauna Fauna gets lost in the Monster Island part of Krakoa. And Cable and friends go to find Fauna and (laughs) comes across him. And Cable says, I I admire your pouches, kid, but we're really not supposed to be here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So So they uh, fight off a giant bone-faced lion type thing. Yeah, it's like 15 feet tall. And he pulls a space knight sword out of its paw. Yeah. So first of all, what the fuck? Yeah. Because, and then like across the galaxy, these space knights activate and they're like, oh, the sword has been found, blah, 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 which, okay. But why, why space knights? Why in the world space knights? It's very specific. It's very specific. It's also like, seems to me like one of those things where you would never involve space knights if you didn't have a very specific reason for it. Because space knights were originally owned not by marvel they were licensed property like you can can tell by their design (laughs) right yeah (laughs) they made a comic tie-in for rom the space knight the action figure Mm -hmm. and then introduced it to marvel actually weirdly enough life death the storyline that i was talking about before they end up fighting off dire wraiths which are the enemies of space knights and anyhow why the fuck would you do any of that it seems so silly and so tangential to X-Men at all, let alone fucking Cable. But it right. gets him a cool sword and 
I don't know. Yeah. And so it was interesting that they specifically said that it reacted to his metal arm mm-hmm. um, with the techno virus. Techno organics. Yeah. Techno organics. So that was kind of weird. But yeah, I agree. Giving all of a sudden the first space knight named Morn showed up on Monster Island because it was fighting some other aliens that flew away and landed on Monster Island. And then he died because he got squished by that giant bone-faced lion monster. And he died sticking the sword into his paw. Now, I will also say, this Monster Island is not the same Monster Island that the kaiju, that Kid Kaiju. Kid Kaiju is an inhuman who is able to summon the monsters that he draws on a book. And he lives on Monster Island. And Elsa Bloodstone is his... uh, guardian and that is a different monster island because this monster island is a rocco who yeah. is krakoa's other anyway right um, uh, also strangely enough that monster island has a lot to do with amiko wolverine's kind of foster kid ward character uh, amiko's biological parents were killed when monsters got free of monster island uh, <laughs> and wolverine like Saved the kid, killed the monsters, and was like, all right, I guess I have to take care of you now. And not to be confused with Monster Island from the Godzillaverse. Right, where of course. all the monsters actually live. I think anyway. that was actually supposed to be the Godzillaverse Monster Island. I think they might have literally fought Godzilla. I don't remember. All right. <laughs> they, they went real wild with the tie-ins. Um, the I 80s. do know that down the line of the Dawn timeline, there's going to be a title called X of Swords. Yeah. And so, that's, that's the first big crossover. So I assume like they oh, just, they yeah. want to give some people some more swords. You're right. Yeah. We've, we've got the <laughs> Captain Britain sword. We've got this sword. Let's just, just go wild with swords. Why not? Yeah. We have, we have Brian's sword. We have Excalibur. Right. We have the sword that Apocalypse uses to kill people. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. We have the Space Knight sword. It showed the Muramasa blade. Oh, interesting. Um, that is the sword forged from the rage and hate of Wolverine that right. can negate healing factors when it cuts. Yep. I feel like there's a couple other swords. I mean, I think there's going to be 10 swords. So, really? Um, it could be a few things. It could be like a cross of swords, you know, like the mm-hmm, X shape, mm-hmm. or it could be like the tarot card 10 of swords. Mm hmm. We'll yeah, see. we'll see. <laughs> um, X of Swords, it's a thing. Yeah, X-Men 8 and 9. X-Men 8 and 9. Shall we take it home? Oh my gosh. Okay, so I will say two things that will lead into this story. One, I hope we're actually going to explore Gabe, and I'm very excited about this. Um, <laughs> Vulcan. Um, yeah. Because he was such an evil character back yeah. in Rise and Fall of the Shi'ar Empire and into yeah. Realm of Kings and War of Kings and all that stuff. The fact that he's so passive is so strange, but like, it almost seems like he's like broken and yeah. he has a very skewed thing going on in his head now. Absolutely. And he's like obsessed with everyone being on fire and fires <laughs> yeah. and turning them on. But like, that is brand new. That was not a thing has nothing to do with old Vulcan. So I really hope that this means we're going to explore some Gabriel Summers down the line. Also, this is now our third semi-origin idea story around the brood. Um, (laughs) And we talk about this whenever I get involved with fucking establishing backstories. But like... You care, I don't. (laughs) Yeah, and but like when they do these kinds of updates, it's almost like you don't care, but no, it's fine. It's fine. It's a new season. Soap operas do it all the time. Get it. It just, 
Mm. So in this, it seems like they're establishing that the brood come from another dimension. From another universe. Another universe. They said that they basically came from a rift similar to the fault. Yeah, but not the fault. Yeah. A different rift, which is interesting. Yeah. So real quick, before we dive into this, the other two established origin stuffs is in Age of Ultron, when Wolverine comes across a primitive brood that has no claws and just is like kind of just a slug. He kills it because it's a brood and then it establishes a self-defense mechanism and then it grows its claws. And so now all the brood have claws and teeth because Wolverine killed a larva. Okay. That's done with and forgotten. And then we get introduced, I think it's in a Wolverine and the X-Men storyline where the brood are natural predators to an even worse galactic Mm. species and i forget what they were called but the brood had been killed off because of the annihilation wave and so now this other populace is starting to get out of control but establishing their galactic connection the same way that they did this same sort of exploration with galactus of that (laughs) he is a cosmic constant and the universe is in balance because galactus exists right they did that same sort of galactic connection with the brood Mm-hmm. Now, going into X-Men 8 and 9 in the Dawn of X-Verse, the Brood are established as this being from another universe that self-replicates and burrows into other beings and gains their knowledge and shares it across their hive mind. And then we get introduced to the idea of a king egg. Because, so, let's yo. back up. Okay, sorry. Let's back up. <laughs> so, in their travels across... Shi'ar space in the New Mutant story. This mysterious object that Rain brings back turns out to be a brood egg and specifically the king egg of the brood. And Brew recognizes it and he freaks out. Turns out king eggs are genetically engineered weapons created by the Kree millennia ago as a way to essentially interrupt and weaponize the hierarchy of the brood species to be able to use them as a weapon against the Shi'ar. So when one sort of gets found or activated, it it sends off a distress signal across the universe and a bunch of brood go crazy trying to reconnect with it because it cuts off their whole social and reproductive cycle. And in order to stop this brood invasion of Krakoa, Cyclops, Vulcan, Havoc, Brew, and Gene fly out into space to find another place to put it. They get chased by the brood. They get caught. You're raising your hand like you're in school again. I know. So conceptually, before we get into where you're, what the literally the next sentence you're about to say, because I, uh-huh. I, 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 I have gotten used to your storytelling at this point, but conceptually <laughs> um every time we've come across the brood there's always been the brood queen and that exactly and, and usually dealing with the brood queen is how you deal with the brood because yeah they, they're full they, on hive mind every yeah all the brood you come across report to a queen and if you take down the queen they don't know what to do and they leave and so the literal mind blow of just saying the king egg <laughs> by itself is the most insane like oh my gosh 
I've never thought of what about a brood king. We've that's always such a, had such a Hickman twist. Kings, just right. Like, oh, you think this thing that works like this? What if we added the other side of the coin of the thing that you already exactly? Know about? Like with Doctor Strange, he has the eye of Agamotto. No one ever thought. Well, what he probably has more than one eye. He's not a cyclops. So then all of a sudden you're just like, what about the other eye of Agamotto? And you're like, oh my god. Or you have Juggernaut in X Men Black, and he's just like, yeah, I have the gem of Sidorak. And then you find out next to black juggernaut that actually there's seven gems of shit of Sidorak. And he's just Shitarak. like, shut up. <laughs> and he's just like, <laughs> what? So, and so, and so you're just like, okay, we've had brood queens for like ever. What about a king? But that but concept. It works for me because it, the reason that this all works for me instead of like, oh, ho, ho, but what about the king? Because that's not how, like, they're clearly coded as insects and specifically, like, similar to, like, a ants or bees that, like, use pheromonal control from a queen to sort of give orders to all the drones. Mm-hmm. And in those species, there isn't a king. That's done. The the males are only used to reproduce and, and die off. Right. Um, it works for me in it being a genetically engineered weapon, an unnatural addition Which created we didn't by know the Kree. We introduced the king egg. Right. We didn't yeah. know it was a bioengineered artificial yeah. additive to the hierarchy. It's awesome, though. It's a great touch. I love that so much. It's just like, you know, you've got six trillion drones, you have a thousand queens, and then all of a sudden you establish, oh, by the way, they report to a king, and you're like, what? And then and, you and, keep reading. And of course, the queens want to destroy the queen egg because it represents Once- such a violent destruction of the hierarchy and the power that they embody and are used yes. to. And so when you get into X-Men 9, you get some notes about hive species and it dives into the brood and their structure is empress firstborn queen dwarf queen drone mm-hmm. i feel like we've only ever seen queen and drone right this is very hickman of being <laughs> like yeah but what about the builders but like <laughs> right right <laughs> and so as you're going through these notes you're just like holy shit what the Cree did is they introduced a way to hyper control the pheromones that all of the brood, including the queens, get driven off of and basically artificially insert this king into the hierarchy somewhere around Empress and Firstborn, where all the queens report to the new king now instead of the established natural order. Right. Yep, exactly. And then the very last note is like, yeah, you could establish a rival king egg and throw off the new order that you've created. And you're like, excuse me? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So. Go. (laughs) So Cyclops, Havoc, Gene, Vulcan, and Brew team up with the Imperial Guard and the Star Jammers. They're on the run. They're being chased by trillions of brood. They get caught. They're facing down just insane, intense struggle of their lives. And all of the brews stop. And they're like, what just happened? This this shouldn't be happening. This isn't right. Where's the egg? And Brew says, sorry, I ate it. And now <laughs> Brew, little science little, boy Brew. Little pleasant. He's a mutant from the brood race because he feels empathy. Intellectual, 
glasses and three-piece suit wearing going on a juice fast because he's trying to drop a couple pounds a little brew is now brood king well you're completely speechless brew is brew. now the brood king oh my good the, he was so casual about it too i know it was just and, like well, oh especially by the way, oh, after after how freaked out he was at seeing it in the first place yeah and so that's kind of the key it was misdirection of just like yeah it had us so focused on the action and not the obvious internal dialogue and struggle that brew had of holding the king egg and being like how uh-huh. do i save my friends how do i stop this what do we do and his only answer is, well, what if, what if, Sorry, what if I, I ate it? it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Dude. Holy shit. So my one, like, not complaint, but like, eh, is, so, okay. So it does that scene where you, sorry, I ate it. And then it goes into the notes from the Supremer. Yeah. <laughs> and in the notes, it even specifically says, yeah, you'd have to just this yolk that we put into the king egg right. in order for it to like work and i was like ri- like that throws it, it's weird then that they made it an egg because it makes you think that it's going to be born right exactly and it's not the syrup that you go and eat right yeah it is strange so it was almost like well before someone complains let's put this in some notes right yeah <laughs> and so that was the only kind of thing that threw me off but my only other thing in this is the uh, star jammers are being tortured by an accuser right before they land on this planet. Creek user gets launched out of the ship and eaten by one of their space whale things that, that right. Brood used to travel. And I don't know what the accuser knows, but right. assuming the Brood ingest and assimilate the accuser are they going to find out that the king egg is manufactured and not part of their natural order interesting that is my question as the space whale went chomp i was Uh like oh no yeah that's a great point oh no oh shit and so i thought their way out of it was going to be the queens banding together and being like oh this king egg is isn't important maybe we just move on I thought it was going to be they were in a losing situation and the brood are just like, oh, wait, we don't have to worry about this. We out. Yeah. I thought they were going to like get to the other side of the galaxy as a feint to get the brood away from Krakoa and then destroy the queen egg once they left. Yeah. And then jump back to Krakoa right quick. But no, they decided to go make brew the brood king. Which Um, is the most bonkers solution to the whole thing. So, of course... That's yeah, what you absolutely. have to do. I'm here yeah. for it. And so Bruce the Brood King, but then also there is still this chance that they're going to learn that it's fake. Right. And I wonder if they're going to try to usurp the throne mm. or if we're going to get introduced to the Empress and there's going to be a battle between the Brood King and the Empress. Right. Yeah, we shall see. So curious. So much stuff. Well, that about does it for Giant now, Size we've... Dawn of X number three. Longest pod we've ever done. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. Oh man, dude, just Dawn is ridiculous. It's so ridiculous. It's so good. It's so good. I'm just keep being excited to read more and more. Speaking of what, what do you have for next week? Next week, I've got Runaways. Ooh, Doctor Strange, Surgeon Supreme, King Deadpool. 
that's pretty much it cool next week i've got a couple issues of x factor including a, a saber tooth special called back to nature and a wolverine special called shadows and light i've got oh no the start of a new alpha flight series the start of a new maverick series and the second gambit miniseries excellent yeah well i'm looking forward to a calmer week I'm looking I'm forward also... to an in-person yeah we have to figure out how we're gonna do that i know right well with that um yeah. i think uh let's just put the outro music here here wait there okay I'll see you first next week. I'll see you first. I can't wait. Peace. Peace.